Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. On a Sunday night in October 1963, two once-in-a-lifetime talents teamed up for an unforgettable duet on national TV. 21-year-old Barbara Streisand was a guest on The Judy Garland Show. Garland was then 41. Their medley of Happy Days Are Here Again and Get Happy was sheer perfection, an instant classic. Garland, already in decline, though she didn't sound like it that night, would die just six years later. Happy Days! Streisand was just breaking out. Two starry ships passing in the night. Twenty-five years earlier, a very different duet. It was Garland who was on the rise and singing with an established star. Still a year away from her trip down the yellow brick road, teenage Judy was starting to make a name for herself, appearing in a movie musical called Everybody Sing. In this number, she argues in song with a little girl played by a 40-something woman named Fanny Bryce. Why? Because? Why? Because! I don't want to. Well, you ought to. Let's play cops and crooks. At the time, Fanny Bryce was one of the biggest stars in the country. Here she is, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Fanny Bryce. We present Miss Fanny Bryce. Fanny Bryce. Bryce had conquered Broadway. For I was a Florida lady. 
headlined movies. You're going to hear what I've got to say and like it. And created one of the most popular characters on radio. Snooks. Oh, Snooks. Here I am, Daddy. Fanny Bryce was also a history maker, an original, one of the first great female comedy stars. She was so famous that one day an entire musical called Funny Girl would be written about her life, a musical that would star Barbara Streisand. But while Funny Girl would help turn Streisand into a supernova, the real Fanny Bryce would fade from memory. It made people remember her longer than I'm sure they would have had there not been a musical. But the life as she lived it is not the life story that we get in Funny Girl. From CBS Sunday Morning and iHeart, I'm Mo Rocca, and this is Mobituaries. This Mobit, Fanny Bryce, death of the original Funny Girl. That's Barbara Streisand knocking them dead as Fanny Bryce in Broadway's Funny Girl in 1964. Fast forward 58 years to April 2022. Hello, gorgeous. And the show's first ever Broadway revival starring Beanie Feldstein. Alas, the reviews for this production were less than stellar. The show was hobbling along until... Leah Michelle is getting rave reviews. Glee star Leah Michelle was brought in to play Fanny. And the revival itself was revived. I saw Leah in the show, and she was terrific. But make no mistake, the lead role in Funny Girl is indelibly connected to, really owned, by Barbara Streisand. People, people who need people are the luckiest people. After all, she won an Oscar when she starred in the movie version just a few years after her Broadway run. Now, to be clear, this is not a mobituary for Streisand. I mean, she's kind of immortal. We'll talk more about her in Act Two. But this episode is about the woman she came to eclipse, Fanny Bryce. Funny Girl, in many ways, is a sanitized life story. The story that the family wanted to tell in Bryce's career was much more a fever chart up and down and up and down and up and down. Barbara Grossman is a theater professor at Tufts University and wrote an in-depth biography on Bryce entitled Funny Woman. She didn't simply will herself to be the greatest star and everyone accepted it and that was it. Well, she willed herself to do it, but it took her a while to find her footing and to figure out actually who she was as an entertainer and to accept her great comic gifts. 
Bryce was born Fania Borak to a Jewish immigrant family in 1891. As a small child, she lived in Newark, New Jersey, where her mother Rose ran a saloon. And her father, known as Pinochle Charlie, drank and played cards and did pretty much nothing else. After her parents split up, Fanny moved with her mother to Brooklyn, where her career began. She was not yet 15 when she stepped on stage to perform at a vaudeville house called Keeney's. It was amateur night, and she later wrote that when the audience saw a, quote, gawky, nondescript girl in a rumpled linen dress and cheap sailor hat, they started booing and shrieking. This was the kind of place where they gave performers the hook, literally a big iron one, if the audience didn't like them. Then, Fanny began singing a sentimental ballad of the time. And as the performance went on, the crowd fell silent. There was just something about that teenage girl singing so seriously. Fanny's brother Lou would later give this rather delightful description. The theater quieted down like somebody had hung a smallpox sign over the door. When the crowd started throwing money at Fanny, she knew she was a hit. She even got a few laughs while pausing her dramatic song to pick up her money. Soon after that night at Keeney's, she quit school to pursue a life in show business. When she auditioned for one show in 1909, she was asked if she had a specialty number. After confidently saying she did, she didn't, she went running to a young man named Irving Berlin. Now, you might know Berlin as the writer of White Christmas, Easter Parade, God Bless America, but this was before all that. At that point, he was writing Italian dialect songs, Irish dialect songs, and he said, Fanny, with your face, you should do a Yiddish dialect song. All right, let's talk about her face. Well, she had brown curly hair, green eyes, a wide mouth, and a prominent nose. More on that later. Fanny would describe hers as a, quote, Jewish face. She was also tall for the time, standing five foot six, and painfully thin, as she put it, with legs that looked like two slats. These features made her stand out and would become tools for her comedy. She knew she was a sight gag, and she played up that aspect of her physicality, that she knew she couldn't be the prettiest girl on the stage, she was going to be the funniest. The dialect songs that Irving Berlin and others were writing were tied to a boom in ethnic comedy fueled by the huge numbers of immigrants coming to America in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. While some of this material might seem offensive today, immigrant communities of the time ate it up. One of those communities, comprised of Eastern and Central European Jews, was Yiddish-speaking. There were Yiddish newspapers and a thriving Yiddish theater scene, which isn't surprising. The Yiddish language, a combination of German and Hebrew, with a few other linguistic ingredients thrown in, has a kind of musicality with words that are kind of fun to say, like schlamiel, schlamazel, bubby, and bubkis. Why did people consider the Yiddish accent funny? Well, if you don't know Yiddish, it kind of sounds funny. <laughs> I mean, 
And if you combine it with gestures and manners, I mean, it's like anything, you can exaggerate it. And when you combine it with her zany flair for physical comedy, it was just an irresistible combination. Fanny took Irving Berlin's advice and created her own comedic Yiddish-accented persona. But here's the thing. Fanny didn't actually know Yiddish. Most people would think, oh, Fanny Bryce, she probably grew up speaking Yiddish. Well, she liked people to think that, but she didn't. But she could put on the accent, just like a mask, and take it off. By this time, Fanny was performing in burlesque houses. Burlesque was... I suppose the lowest rung on the show business ladder, if you're talking about American popular entertainment, when we tend to think of burlesque, we think of striptease. But burlesque wasn't just striptease. It included singers, dancers, and comedy acts. For somebody like Bryce, who was really trying to break into show business, it was easier to get into. You didn't have to be quite as pretty. It's around this time she changed her name from Fanny Aborak to Fanny Bryce. But she kept her comedic style, which would be epitomized by later hits like Secondhand Rose, about a poor Jewish girl from the Lower East Side. She was fast making a name for herself in burlesque. But her big break came in 1910 when she was cast in the Ziegfeld Follies. The Follies starred the greatest entertainers of the day in a live review that was nothing short of spectacular. You had the Ziegfeld girls, these statuesque women who paraded in and out with beautiful costumes. The show was also renowned for its comedians, the cowboy humorist Will Rogers, the curmudgeonly W.C. Fields, whom my father always loved. You like children? I do if they're properly cooked. And the beloved apostle of pep, Eddie Cantor, whose greatest hits I still listen to. How are you going to keep them down on the farm after they've seen Paris? How are you going to keep them away from... I think it was Eddie Cantor who said, when you make it into the Follies, it's like when you're a baseball player and you make it into the World Series. It's the top. It's the top of the show business career. The Oscar-winning movie The Great Ziegfeld starred William Powell as impresario Florence Ziegfeld and depicts his discovery of Fanny Bryce. Miss Bryce, I am really here to offer you a great opportunity. That's what they all say. In the movie, Fanny plays herself. Everyone was singing, dancing, springing at the wedding yesterday. Yiddle on his fiddle, played some ragtime, and when Sadie Hoyt him play. After accepting Ziegfeld's offer, we see her make it to the big time. Look at you. You're working for Ziegfeld now, and you look like a million dollars. For the first time in your life, you'd clash your mother. 
The Follies made Fanny a major star. By 1916, the New York Tribune was calling her the funniest woman on the stage today. Eventually, she was pulling in $3,000 a week, making her one of the highest paid women in show business. A yearly income, one newspaper would later note, said to be in excess of that of the President of the United States. But more than all that, she was an original, a great female clown, and a pioneer. Many of her fans had probably never even met a Jewish person or a woman of any background who was so uninhibited by turns goofy and bawdy, unconcerned with society's notions of how a lady ought to behave. In contrast to the statuesque beauties parading across the folly stage, Fanny was the anti-Ziegfeld girl. She would go on to satirize performers like modern dancer Martha Graham and theatrical grand dame Ethel Barrymore. And she became the master of the parody number, turning the hit song The Sheik of Araby into The Sheik of Avenue B. His hugs and kisses scared him. He don't spare him. You should see his Hebrew hair. How did Jewish audiences feel about her performances? They loved her. Fanny knew who she was representing and what she wanted that representation to mean, later saying, I never did a Jewish song that would offend the race. In anything Jewish I ever did, I wasn't standing apart, making fun of the race. I was the race. And like my own favorite performers, she had a natural warmth. You can hear it in her real voice, in a PSA she did during the Great Depression, encouraging people to help the unemployed. What are you doing, Fanny? Knitting a sweater for the poor, for the unemployed, my relations, all my uncles. Not one of them are working. One more stitch and I'll be even. Now, all kidding aside, folks, this is really a serious matter. As for her romantic life, well, if you've seen Funny Girl, you know the name. Nikki Onstein, Nikki Onstein, what a beautiful, beautiful name. When she's 21, she meets Nick Arnstein. Who is he? That's a good question. I mean, he was basically a gambler, a con man, um, a criminal. Was he Omar Sharif good-looking? I don't know that anybody's in Omar Sharif's category, but he was good-looking. Egyptian actor Omar Sharif played Nick Arnstein in the Funny Girl movie. Look at pictures of the real Nick Arnstein, and I'm pretty sure you'll agree that casting Sharif was generous. Regardless, Fanny Bryce fell for the real Arnstein hard. She talks about kind of love at first sight. He ended up taking her up to his hotel room where she saw his monogram, bathrobe, even his toothbrush she found elegant. And she just was really swept up by this man who appreciated the finer things in life. And I think she really did love him. Never mind that Arnstein was married when they met and didn't obtain a divorce until Fanny was seven months pregnant with their first child. That detail isn't in the musical. They ended up having a daughter and son. Arnstein was also pretty much constantly engaged in criminal activity, doing time at Sing Sing for wiretapping and Leavenworth for bank theft. The two were finally married in 1919, in between prison terms. Fanny stood by Nick through most of these ups and downs, which led to one of her biggest career moments. When she was in The Follies of 1921, it was actually Ziegfeld who gave her a number that became really one of her signature songs. 
The song was My Man, the English adaptation of a French song made famous by the great chanteuse Mistinguet. The French version is a much rougher song. I mean, it's really about a prostitute who's singing about her pimp, who beats her and, you know, abuses her. And the American version, of course, was sanitized. Cost me a lot, but there's one thing that I've got. It's my man. Fanny's performance of My Man was unlike anything else she'd ever done. Raw and without a Yiddish accent. She wore a torn dress and leaned forlornly against a lamppost. No kooky hand gestures. Oh, no. Just stripped down. Just singing the song. And look, I'm sure she was singing from her own pain. At the time Fanny performed the number, Arnstein had been found guilty of bond theft and would soon be sentenced. Front page news. My Man became Fanny's signature song, and for several more years, Fanny stood by her man, until she couldn't. I do think that she would have stayed with him probably forever, but he committed the cardinal sin. She learned of his infidelity, and she was done. She stood by him, she loved him, but when he was unfaithful to her, she was done. There was no coming back from that. No, there really wasn't. My Man was a breakthrough moment for Fanny. It gave her hope that audiences could see her as more than just a clown. And to that end, she was about to make a very big change. I wonder how much would it cost to get this nose of mine fixed up. You mean by one of those big surgeons? Well, I wouldn't want no carpenter doing it. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb. 
tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. I have a confession to make. When I am thinking about Funny Girl, as I often do, I sometimes forget that it's not the Barbara Streisand story. Does that make me crazy? No, you're absolutely uh, on target. In fact, I think it actually is the Barbara Streisand story in many ways. In some ways, it's more the Barbara Streisand story than it is the Fanny Bryce story. This is my friend Eric Neer. He's a contributing editor to the literary and arts journal, The Hudson Review, and he knows more about musical theater than I could ever hope to know. We'll return to the story of the real-life Fanny later in the episode, but first I wanted to talk with Eric about how with Funny Girl, Barbara Streisand came to eclipse the memory of Fanny Bryce. The depiction of Fanny ultimately ends up being a little closer to Streisand than it does to the real Fanny Bryce. And was that intentional? Well, I don't think originally. Fanny Bryce had been dead for over a decade when a powerful Hollywood producer named Ray Stark set about telling her story. Ray Stark happened to be married to Fanny's daughter. The idea was to create a show about the story of Fanny Bryce and the broad outlines of her life working for Ziegfeld and her marriage to Nick Arnstein, which was, of course, very troubled. And they went through a lot of sort of potential fannies. You know, Carol Burnett was considered... So interesting. And Bancroft was attached for a while. She was really hot after just winning an Oscar for The Miracle Worker. Did she sing in The Miracle Worker? I don't no. remember Annie Sullivan singing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Carol Burnett and Anne Bancroft were already big names. But Funny Girl's composer, a man named Julie Stein, was writing the show's score with a lesser-known talent in mind. Now- At the time, Barbara Streisand was just 20 and performing in downtown Manhattan clubs like the Village Vanguard and the Bonsoir. Described back then as kooky, Streisand had stolen the show in her first Broadway role in 1962 as the secretary Miss Marmelstein in I Can Get Her For You Wholesale. You think at least Miss M they could try? Oh, I could die. 
Julie Stein saw her and said, okay, here's a girl who can really sing, who is uh, clearly Jewish and will be convincing playing Fanny Bryce, and who is also a comic and has a wonderful sense of humor, a wonderful sense of stage comedy. It was inevitable casting. There was really no one else at the time who would have been so perfect for the role. With a new, exciting, and volcanically talented performer in the role, the show's focus started to shift. And so Funny Girl started to bend in a way to be really much more about Streisand and her talent than it did about Fanny Bryce. Streisand's take on Fanny Bryce was entirely her own. As she discussed in this backstage radio interview from the opening night of Funny Girl in 1964. Did you research the life of Fanny Bryce at all? No, I didn't want to approach it as an imitation or anything like that. I mean, they hired me because whatever organic things we had, similar, you know, they'll work for themselves. I understand that uh, you purposely kept yourself away from looking at movies of hers, hearing programs of hers and so forth. I mean, I'm approaching it as a character in a play who could have been any woman who was torn between a career, marriage and has problems of her own. As for what the two women had in common, well, Streisand, like Bryce, wasn't Broadway or certainly Hollywood's definition of beautiful. Early on, critics had no compunction writing about her nose, speculating on whether she'd ever get it fixed. Variety even recommended a, quote, corrective schnozbob. Eric says that kind of criticism may have only made Streisand more determined to make it a determination that served her well in the role of Fanny. What we see in Funny Girl is Fanny sort of using that insecurity about her looks and about not being taken seriously and channeling that into this kind of fierce ambition that is this sort of incredibly exciting mix of anger and insecurity that drives her on. And Streisand just really embodies that in an incredible way. Let's listen to Streisand as a young Fanny singing I'm the Greatest Star in the movie version of Funny Girl. Cause I'm the greatest star. I am by far. In a case of art imitating life, imitating art, stay with me here, this number becomes as much a declaration by Barbara Streisand herself as it does by the character she was playing. That's a fascinating song because it kind of starts a little bit as if she's trying to please. She's kind of doing a little shticky stuff and funny voices and trying to ingratiate herself. Wait, I'm gonna hear a voice, a silver flute. They'll cheer each two. Hey, that kid is terrific. Mm, When I expose it. And then something happens kind of midway through that song where she kind of steps away from that and just says, all right, Hold on, listen up. I am the greatest star, and I don't have any qualms about saying that. Have you guessed yet? Who's the best yet? If you ain't, I'll tell you one more time. You bet you'll die in all of the world so far. I am the greatest, greatest star. 
it's a gutsy kind of thing to say in the heroine's first big number in the show because it could come off as, you know, a, a little egotistical and pushy and a little obnoxious. But when it's performed in the way it's performed, certainly by Streisand, as we see in the film, there's no other response, but yes, yes you you're are. right. Which brings us to a key difference between the two women, their singing voices. I don't want to be unfair to Fanny. She's not here to defend herself, but let's do a little compare and contrast. Let's listen to Fanny singing My Man. Now let's listen to Barbara singing My Man. Even accounting for differences in audience tastes, there's really no comparison. That's right. The way that Fanny sings it is full of heart and full of warmth and richness and character, but it is a style that sounds pretty dated to us now. And the way that Streisand sings My Man has not dated at all. In fact, it's as powerful as it was when she recorded it you know, over 50 years ago. And the secret to Streisand's power, says Eric, has more to do with her treatment of the words than music. She's really acting the song. It's as if she is making up the song as she goes along. Streisand really brings together a lot of different kinds of vocalism and then puts this um, whole gloss of incredible sort of sensuality and eroticism over it, which may surprise people because we don't think of her as being sort of a, a sexy performer. But when you hear her sing, she is caressing every phrase with an incredibly sensual approach. Just listen to Streisand on a personal favorite of mine, Alan and Marilyn Bergman and Michelle Legrand's What Are You Doing the Rest of Your Life? She is able to open her voice up at the top of the range in a way that lets it really blossom into this kind of soaring sound. And it's just so important, I think, for people to understand that it was new. What she was doing, like all great artists, was new because she's such a fact of life. I think it's easy to take for granted. That's absolutely true. And of course, the sad fact is that she had this incredible success with Funny Girl and then never did a Broadway show again. Indeed, Streisand would go on to conquer Hollywood. But rather than replace Fanny Bryce, Eric believes Barbara's performance in Funny Girl is the reason we remember Fanny Bryce's name at all. Without Funny Girl, I think she'd be basically a forgotten performer at this time. 
Funny Girl has kept her name alive in ways that the surviving fragments that we have of video or audio footage have not really. Who can we compare Fanny Bryce to that might give people a sense of the kind of performer that she was? I think there's definitely a bit of Fanny Bryce in Bette Midler. Your face is your fortune, so some wise man's My face is my fortune, that's why I'm totally broke. That sense of zaniness and the broadly funny faces that she makes, combined with a, a warmth and good-naturedness. Another heir to Bryce? The aforementioned Carol Burnett, whose long-running and completely wonderful variety show was big on parody. Stalin, I love you. That, that, that gown is gorgeous. <laughs> Thank you. I saw it in the window and I just couldn't resist it. No question that Carol Burnett was influenced by Fanny Bryce. You see it in the facial expressions that she makes, the willingness to put on any kind of outrageous costume, the willingness to look incredibly silly and ridiculous, all in the service of humor. To give her her props, Fanny did do that thing of being a big star comic who, kind of in an act of performance jujitsu, made you cry with a song like My Man. That's part of her appeal, is that she's zany and kooky and will do anything for a laugh, but always at the core, there's this sense of a true and real and kind and loving person behind everything that she does. Final question. Barbara spells her first name B-A-R-B-R-A. When you see younger gay men spell her name with three A's. How does it make you feel? It makes me feel a little bit how I feel when I hear people refer to cast albums as soundtracks. Ouch, that hurts. It's yes, like a knife. It's painful. But you know what drives Barbara even more crazy is when people mispronounce her last name. With a Z sound instead of an S sound. Right, right. And perhaps you've heard the story that when Apple launched Siri, Siri was pronouncing her name Barbara Streisand. Barbara picked up the phone and called Tim Cook to ask him to fix the pronunciation of her name by Siri. And I'm sure they did it right away. No doubt. (laughs) When I see that extra A, I mean, to me, it's tantamount to a hate crime. Right. (laughs) Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, 
Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. You, you had made me feel sort of beautiful, you know, for, for a very long time. You are beautiful. The musical Funny Girl ends with Fanny Bryce saying goodbye to her gambler, ne'er-do-well husband, Nicky Arnstein, for the very last time. But that's not where Fanny's story ended. It's around this time that Fanny did something that Streisand famously did not do. In 1923, she had what was announced as facial sculpture. Yes. She had a nose job. She did. That's Fanny Bryce biographer Barbara Grossman again. As much as we talk about she knew who she was and she knew what she wanted, and she never thought of herself as pretty. She didn't fit the established, beautiful type. And so she saw having a smaller nose as not just making her pretty, but allowing her to do the kind of dramatic work that she thought she would be better suited for if she looked different. A different, less ethnic look, her thinking went, might also help her appeal to a wider range of audiences around the country. Writer Dorothy Parker acidly quipped that Fanny, quote, cut off her nose to spite her race. Now, I have to confess, I didn't even realize people got nose jobs back then. But plastic surgery had advanced during World War I, as doctors developed new methods to reconstruct the faces of disfigured soldiers. In the years after the war, those methods would be used for cosmetic surgery, or what some called facial renovation. When you look at pictures of Fanny post-nose job, the change doesn't look that dramatic. Still, the procedure made national news, mostly because Fanny, never publicity shy, let reporters see her swathed in bandages after the surgery. Fanny referred to her nose job as a return to normalcy, a play on Warren Harding's 1920 presidential campaign slogan. In an interview, Fanny acknowledged it might take a couple of seasons for the public to get used to my new nose. But I'm ambitious like every actress. I know I can act and I want to show the public what I can do. With a new nose in front of her, Fanny was ready for Hollywood, which was just entering the sound era. With the success of Al Jolson's The Jazz Singer? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. Movie studios were on the hunt for entertainers who could talk and sing. And so Warner Brothers signed Fanny. 
Her first film, 1928's My Man, featured her singing the now-famous title tune, plus some new songs. I'd rather be blue, thinking of you. I'd rather be blue over you than be happy with somebody else. She was even marketed as the female Jolson, but audiences didn't respond to Fanny in the same way. My Man was a flop. Did some parts of the country just find her too Jewish? Well, Variety seemed to think so, writing bluntly and disturbingly in its review of the film, quote, Certain localities are apt to chill on the star's distinct Hebrew clowning. Now, some of you may be thinking, wait a minute, the jazz singer is the story of a cantor son who abandons the synagogue for show business, only to return in a climactic scene to chant Yom Kippur prayers while his father is on his deathbed. That was pretty Jewish, and audiences loved it. But that movie may have been more of an exception to the rule, not to mention it was ultimately a story of assimilation. Fanny's movie career was coinciding with what would end up being a disappearance of sorts of Jews in the stories being told by the entertainment industry. The nativism and anti-immigrant sentiment of the 1920s and 30s was leading to a desemitizing of mainstream culture. Studio bosses, many of them Jewish themselves, seemed to believe that movies playing to the whole country needed to downplay Jewish faces, accents, and themes. Characters and plots featuring Jewish people were minimized or eliminated entirely. Many Jewish film actors would leave the business or try to assimilate as best they could. For example, a decade or so after Fanny, actress Lauren Bacall, born Betty Joan Persky, would be marketed by studio publicists as being from society. Interestingly, Bacall would play Barbara Streisand's mother in the 1996 film The Mirror Has Two Faces. Mother, I made dinner. Why don't you put the coffee on? I raised two daughters. I buried a husband. I made my coffee. Another issue might have been Fanny's over-the-top stage persona. Look, I love Broadway, but sometimes the energy is just too much for the big screen. There's a reason why Ethel Merman barely had a movie career. Will you just shut up and let me talk? Whatever it was, it wasn't working. Fanny would go on to make just six movies, but her star would rise again in a different medium. It was the 1930s, radio's golden age, and Fanny had the perfect character. Yes, it's the Baby Snook Show starring Fanny Bryce. It's Baby Snook with Hanley Stafford as Daddy. Baby Snooks was a character Fanny developed for the stage back in her early performance days. And this is important. The character didn't rely on a Yiddish accent. You can't really do Yiddish accented comedy on the radio because it's so physical. It demands the gestures, the mannerisms, the whole shtick, if you will. And with Hitler's Germany posing an increasing threat and anti-Semitism rampant on the home front, Fanny likely reasoned that her Jewishness was not something to emphasize, not if you were trying to appeal to a national radio audience. 
the Baby Snooks show was pretty standard sitcom fare. Episodes would revolve around Snooks causing trouble or asking too many questions and her ever-exasperated father having to deal with her. Was I born in California? Oh, yes. Where was you born? In Denver. Where was Mommy born? Mommy was born in New York. And how did we all get together? <laughs> I don't know. Her catchphrase became the question she would keep asking throughout each episode, setting her father over the edge. Why did I have to put on my new dress, Daddy? Because my boss is coming for dinner. And listen, Snooks, you're not to come into the dining room while we're having dinner. Not even if my boss asks you to. Why? Never mind why. I think in a way, Snooks was easy. It was bread and butter for her. She didn't have to contort her body doing acrobatic leaps. And, you know, for somebody who was getting older, it was probably less demanding than some of her parts, and audiences enjoyed it. Banny and Snooks were on the radio for over 14 years. Future I Love Lucy producer Jess Oppenheimer was a writer for The Baby Snooks Show and would take some of the Snooks traits with him when he went to write for My Favorite Husband, the radio predecessor to I Love Lucy. Now, how do you feel? Oppenheimer wrote in his memoir that he decided to make Ball's radio character, quote, a little bit more childlike and impulsive, in short, more like baby Snooks. Traces of Snooks carried over to TV when Lucille Ball became Lucy Ricardo. Sure, I wanted him to forget my birth date, but he forgot my birthday. <laughs> But while Lucy transitioned to the exciting new medium of television, Fanny and Baby Snooks would not make that leap. She had been offered a Baby Snooks show on television, and she said no, because she was self-aware enough to realize that on radio, the audience, because they didn't have to look at her, they could just hear her. And her voice, she could sound like a little Baby Snooks. But on TV, it's a cruel eye. It's the camera. Fanny was getting tired, bored by the routine of radio work. She wanted to enjoy life in the California sunshine, spend time with her grandkids, and enjoy her hobbies like painting and interior decorating. She decorated the homes of friends like Katherine Hepburn and Eddie Cantor for years. She was also on her own after another failed marriage. Following her divorce from Nick Arnstein, she'd married showman Billy Rose, by most accounts, the two were a mismatch, and the marriage was not a happy one. It also inspired a sequel to Funny Girl, called Funny Lady, that we're not going to talk about. The marriage ended after nine years. In a November 1950 newspaper interview, she shared her plans to retire from show business the following year. You can tell that the Fanny who'd hustled and strived for so long is gone. The beginning of a career is the most exciting anyway. It's fun and wonderful. After you get there, it's tough to stay there. That's when you have to fight, she says. There's always people to take your place, and they're always better. Six months later, in May of 1951, Fanny Bryce died following a cerebral hemorrhage. Fanny's rabbi, Max Nussbaum, poignantly noted, Fanny Bryce inherited from our tradition not only the capability of moving people to laughter and to tears, but also she inherited the heart 
that ennobled her calling. Take your share of trouble, face it and don't complain. If you want the rainbow, you must have the rain. Thirteen years later, Barbara Streisand would make Fanny Bryce a household name again when Funny Girl opened on Broadway. I'm a bagel on a plate full of onion rolls. If you ask most people today who Fanny Bryce is, they probably don't know, or they might conflate her story with Barbara Streisand's. But Fanny was a true comedy pioneer for women and Jewish entertainers, paving the way for Streisand and so many others. I'm flying high, cause I got a feeling I'm falling, falling for nobody else but you. Wouldn't it be great if one day somebody made a movie about Fanny Bryce? I certainly hope you enjoyed this mobituary. May I ask you to please rate and review our podcast? You can also follow Mobituaries on Facebook and Instagram. And you can follow me on Twitter at Moraka. Hear all new episodes of Mobituaries every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. And check out Mobituaries Great Lives Worth Reliving, the New York Times best-selling book, now available in paperback and audiobook. It includes plenty of stories not in the podcast. This episode of Mobituaries was produced by Zoe Marcus. Our team of producers also includes Aaron Schrank, Wilco Martinez-Cachero, Jay Kernis, and me, Mo Rocca. It was edited by Maura Walls and engineered by Josh Hahn, with fact-checking by Naomi Barr. Our production company is Neon Hum Media. Our archival producer is Jamie Benson. Our theme music is written by Daniel Hart. Indispensable support from Craig Swagler, Dustin Gervais, Alan Peng, Reggie Bazile, and everyone at CBS News Radio. Special thanks to Jonathan Greenberg and Alberto Robina. The indisputable Aaron Schrank is our senior producer. Executive producers for Mobituaries include Steve Razies and Mo Rocca. The series is created by yours truly. And as always, undying gratitude to Rand Morrison and John Carp for helping breathe life into Mobituaries. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.